I just felt like it was time for 50 to perform. So I know I basically what I'm saying is 50 walked into the club. You know, usually how it's supposed to go is like 50 walks in, he settles in, gets into his VIP, gets his model, whatever the case is. A bunch of people are reacting to him being there. And then whenever he feels that the time is right, he'll move over to the DJ booth and he'll perform the songs. That's not what happened. That's not exactly what happened. Welcome to the Mike Squires and Friends podcast. I'm your host, Mike Squires, and today I'm joined by my good friend, DJ Santo. You may know him as Chris Webby's touring DJ. And I've had the privilege of touring with Santo throughout the U.S. and Europe. But today we talk about what it takes to be a standout DJ. And Santo shares with me a story about getting co-signed by his idols, including an experience that he had with 50 Cent. Another thing we talk about is how Santo balances his work life and his personal life. Now, if you want to support the Mike Squires and Friends podcast, all you got to do is hit that little subscribe button on YouTube or download it on your preferred podcast platform. And don't be afraid to leave a rating either. Now, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen... Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Mike Squires and Friends. Santo! Mikey boy! What's good, my guy? You know, living the life. Before we start this, I want to get people familiar with who you are. Yes. Let's give a little insight to who Santo is to the world. Yeah, I DJ. Recently, I've been um, more into like the production, writing, and everything like that. Trying to find that passion again. Um, touring, like you said, traveling the world with my dog, Chris Webby, moving around, um, the radio, Hot 937, uh, in Connecticut, that's the station that I work for, KS1075 recently, I don't know if you're aware, but I just got, uh, radio in Denver, so I do Saturdays out there remotely from the house. How did you end up connecting with Hot 937? Hot 937, um, so, Joey Franchise was the DJ that pretty much kind of made the, the connection with me and DJ Buck. Once I was introduced to the radio station and I was on their radar, I just decided to go full throttle. So I'm from Connecticut, but there's two sides of Connecticut, for anybody that doesn't know. There's a 203, the 860. I'm from the opposite side of from where the station is. So I always did, like, my own thing without having to use the station. So I would do my own parties, promote my own parties, without having to book any of their DJs or do any ads. And when they found out about me, they were like, yo, who's this guy being successful without us? You know what I mean? Not like that, literally. But it, it was like, it was raising, like, question marks. Like, how, you know, is he doing it by himself? He doesn't need any of us. So it was more or less like, I felt like when I got onto the station, I was kind of bringing value to the point where I was like, okay, um, I'm not just coming here as somebody that um, is looking to, you know, have the station make my brand. I was interested in making my brand and going and aligning with the station more as a partner than as like a, you know what I mean? So w once I, I had, and I always looked at it, not just the station, but I always looked at it that way in general, as far as my career is like, how can I bring value? So once I found out I was on the radar, I would go with my street team. Cause I had like a, at the time I got a van wrapped with my face on it. And the only reason why I really did that was a good opportunity came and it was a good price. But then I was like, you know what? I got to make a statement. So I got to separate myself from everybody. So I did that. But then, you know, what comes with a street team van, you got to have the material. So I would have mixtapes and I would have flyers and I would go to Hartford, like a hot jam, which is like the station concert. And I would go and tag everybody's car with my flyer. So when they get out, they'll see it on some real old school Chris Fury street team shit. Um, and, and then not just the people, but I would tag like the DJ's cars and the, I'll make sure DJ Craig G had three, four of my flyers. And you know what I'm saying? I was just being like obnoxious in that way until one day I got a call from my guy. This is a little long winded, but 
this is I feel like it's important to tell this part um, specifically. So G Money is a radio personality, or he was a radio personality at the station at the time. I was working with G Money through Connecticut Against Violence, which we can speak about later if you want, um, which is an organization that I was working with, where we would go out to the schools, and I would DJ, he would host, and we would pretty much give our time back to all the schools like in, in Connecticut, and we worked together for about two years doing that before I even ever mentioned anything about the station and anything like that. So he gets a call from DJ Buck, because they needed a DJ for his show. And he was like, yo, you ever heard of this kid Santo? And he was like, yeah, I was just with him today, actually. We just did an event, Connecticut Against Violence event. And he was like, what do you think about having him filling for your show tonight? We need a DJ. And so he was like, hell yeah. He was, he was with it because I had already established a relationship with him. I established a relationship with Joy Franchise. We used to book him, um, you know, in our area. So it was like all the people that DJ Buck, the program director, trusted, I had already established some sort of rapport with. So they kind of sold me for me. You know what I'm saying? So me going back and giving my time to Connecticut Against Violence and doing the two years of not getting paid, getting up early and grinding it out and doing the selfless work ultimately ended up paying off when that phone call came in and G Money co-signed me. So when I went on for that filling show, I just got like an overwhelming amount of support. And from there, I just kept kept rocking. So Sometimes you got to make the long play. Yeah, sometimes you got to make the long play. So it was more like a... And that wasn't even what I was envisioning. It just so happened that I worked out that way. Yeah, and you said something important. The thing you said is that it's not what you can do for me. It's what can I do for you. You want to bring value to people. And I think, you know, you bringing value the way that you did actually attributed to your success and, you know, everything working out for you at the radio station. Mm-hmm. At what point do you get your radio show? This is, uh, that's a good question too. Um, so when I started doing fillings i was doing like whenever they need me holidays or whatever and then sunday nights um the reggaeton show uh dj bombetto that was doing the reggaeton show he was actually retiring um so when he retired uh dj buck reached out to me he was like hey listen because buck had came out the program director again came out to one of my parties um and he's seen how i dj and i always dj'd like i always like to go against the grain so if i'm doing a hip-hop party i like to play house music or Spanish music. If I'm doing a Latin party, I like to play hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? I just like to 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 play a little bit of everything. So when he seen that about me, he was like, yo, you know, would you be interested in doing a show similar to how you DJed that night when I saw you? So, like, playing all genres and kind of, you know, like, club style. So I was like, okay, um, that's an alley-oop. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, how can I take that and how can I brand that somehow? And then that's when we thought of my brother Eli helped me with this. We thought of uh, Improjo the International Sundays brand, which is like essentially taking what he asked me to do and and now by calling it International Sundays, the most diverse show on radio, it's like a disclaimer before you even listen to the show. So now I've been wondering why I'm going from every genre from, you know, Afrobeat to hip hop to house and you're listening to the show and you're like, wow, this is this isn't regular. I'm used to hearing hip hop on the station. Why am I hearing house music today? Well it's International Sunday. So when you tune in and you hear the tags, you already know it's like a disclaimer. Yeah. Um, so I like that because it gave me an opportunity to kind of explore music too. So then this is when like Shazam made it available so you could see what songs on the map were doing well in certain places. So I would go and be like, yo, this is the most Shazam song in Germany right now. You know, Chain Smokers or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And then like that helped my passion for music because now I'm like, now I'm discovering different music and stuff like that. So International Sundays came about when Buck made the call, like, yo, 
you know, would you be interested in filling in? And then we just kind of like, you know, made it happen branding wise. Is there an artist that you spun like at one point, maybe it was early in their career that you felt changed the trajectory of their career and maybe not you, maybe just the radio station as a whole. I think I, I think that we deserve a plaque for lean on. <laughs> can you and tell I'm a little honest, can, Major Laser and DJ Snake? Can you tell a little bit about that? Well, when we first got on, you know, just when the show was fresh, um, you know, we were playing like the J Balvin, um, you know, like Nicky Jam had like a big record that that was commercially successful, and we were playing a lot of those records, um, like the remember like the Mike Posner took a pill in the bees, like yeah. that era, the Chainsmokers, DJ Snake era. That's the era when we started our show and. Our show was the one that would, you know, play those records first. And then Buck, being the smart uh, program director that he is, he would, you know, look at the statistics on that. And he would say, okay, who's reacting to what on our show? Oh, wow, Nicky Jam or DJ Snake seems to be doing well. Um, let's see if we could try that and throw that on the mix show list. Give it five spins this week and see how it does. And then next thing you know, it graduates and it gets into the main rotation. So I think, you know, and then also I think Highline 37 being – uh, influential as far as we're not in any of the main, main markets, so we have more freedom to be able to try things like that and try new records. So now when in New York, Miami, you know, L.A., <clears throat> those big stations, you know, when they're looking at the BDS and they're looking at the the, the list of the songs that we're playing, like, oh, wow, this Major Laser Snake should be doing well in Connecticut. Let's give it a shot. And the next thing you know, that's how I hit record and to becoming massive, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying we're completely responsible for it, but I know that we played a part in some of those records for sure. You know, how does that even work? How does a radio station get a plaque? Like, what qualifies a radio station? Um, You know, it's just a label kind of giving back and just kind of saying thank you. That's nice. No, so that's really you, nice. You know, so, so, you know, the, the station will get plaques and get acknowledgement. And it, even if it's not a plaque, you know what I'm saying, if, even if it's something as simple as, hey, listen, you know, this artist is going to be in town, they want to stop by and come say what's up or whatever the case is. It's just having that relationship with with the uh, with the record labels, you know. So me personally, um, I'm not really as interested um, in, like, the, you know, what, like we talked about earlier, like, what's in it for me, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not playing a record so I can try to get free tickets to whatever concert. I'm playing the records that I like, and if it just so happens that it catches the attention of the record label and they decide to say thank you, then it's cool. But if not, I'm not really looking for that. You know what I'm saying? I just want to play music that I think that, not only that I like, but I feel like that you'll like if you're listening to my show. What's the difference between, you know, a good DJ and a great DJ? What makes a great DJ great? I think, a, okay, okay. Yeah, Mikey boy. Came correct. Mike, you know, Mike <laughs> is on point. Um, I think the, what makes a great DJ great is just knowing, like, how to read a room and then just knowing that, like, the job is just being selfless. I've talked about this before, but, you know, like I said a second ago, it's not necessarily playing what I want to hear or what, or what I think um, people want to hear. It's more or less like, okay, reading the room. If I'm walking into the room, I want to, like, I watch a lot of movies. So, like, I think to myself, okay, if I was going to score this scene, like, if, if us right now, like, if there was background music playing, what would it be? You know what I'm saying? So I like to go into a room, like, if I was going to score this, what would be the music that would be playing? What would what, what would they be into? So if I play one record and I look around and I see the reaction, and my thing is this, a lot of DJs, when they're not fully confident yet, um, you know, and, and we all do it, you know what I'm saying? Because to this day, I'm still learning how to DJ and I'm still learning how to read people because it's never ending. But, it, you know, we look for like the instant gratification. Um, so we look for like, 
okay, if I play a record, you know, they got to be singing along or throwing their hands up or can I get a hey, can I get a ho? It has to be that is like the way of telling us whether or not they're enjoying it. But it's, it, it, I'm not looking for that necessarily. I'm looking for, um, am, I, am I gaining your attention? Because I don't, I don't want to go, it doesn't have to be zero to 100 every time you walk into a gig. You know, I, I like to go and I notice things like, okay, you put your phone down. Mm. Or the conversation that you were having is kind of slowing up because you're starting to do this now. You know what I'm saying? You're starting to bop. So w- once I realized that I'm like grabbing your attention, now we're going from zero to one to two. And then I like to, it's like a roller coaster that I'll bring it up. Next thing you know, you're not even noticing. Now we're doing haze and holes and we're singing, but it's not like Simon says when I walk in, do this. You know what I mean? I want to earn your trust. I want, I want you to let your guard down when I'm DJing for you. I want you to feel comfortable. Like, okay, I can be myself. I can have fun. I can feel free. I don't want to, I don't want it to feel forced. So I think a lot of DJs, um, you know, that are newer or maybe a little less experienced, you know, they're looking for that instant gratification. Just be confident in what it is that you're playing and, you know, read the room. Yeah, if it's not working, you know, it's okay to switch it up. You know what I'm saying? I think taking requests is not a bad thing. I think a lot of DJs get that misconstrued. I think there's a way about going about it. You know what I mean? I'm into suggestions. I'm not really into people telling me what to do. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So if you come up to a DJ advice and you want to hear a song, hey, can you play this? Or, hey, I think it'd be a good idea if you do this on at some point, not play this, I'm leaving right now. Or, you know, don't do that because then, then now I feel defensive. Now I want to, like, fight fight you. Um, but I love requests because I, I want to be able to know if I'm going into a college crowd or high school, you know, there's a whole TikTok world that I'm not even familiar with or what they're listening to. So if they come up and they ask me, like, for instance, I did a, a gig recently for 12, 13, 14-year-olds, and they're asking me for Keisha Cole. Love, the song Love. And I'm like, this is way before, like, how do you know this song? But I don't know. Somehow it must have sparked in some algorithm somewhere, and now they like it. But I would have never guessed that. So the fact that somebody came and requested that, I'm like, well, they know that. Mm, they might know this. So I'm now I'm trying different things out. So it's just being selfless and understanding that you're there um, for the people that are going to have a good time. What's something that a up-and-coming DJ could do that might put them in a better position to win? And, you know, some game that you could put them onto that could change the trajectory of their career if they just did this one thing. Um, I think as far as the way that I went about, I spoke about it earlier, but the way I went about my career was not necessarily relying on anybody individual to do anything for me. That can go across the board. You don't have to be just a DJ for that. You know what I mean? Like, once you start creating your own opportunities, your phone's going to start ringing. But if you're just sitting around waiting for your phone to ring, you might be waiting for a while. So my thing is, like, go out, focus on the people that you have access to and then pour into them, right? So that's not even just a DJ thing, too. That could be, like, a, a, an artist could take this advice. I think we get so caught up in, in the 0 to 100 mentality of, like, okay, I want to blow up. And the idea of that is, okay, being on the big radio station, maybe, or being on, you know, if I'm an artist, being on Rap Caviar or being on... You know, whatever it is, like those big mainstream platforms. And I think that there's a lot of gray area in between that that we're missing. So I think before we shoot for the stars, um, let, let, let's let's build. So if there's 10, 15, 20, 50 people, 100 people that are following you that are actually going to invest into you, focus on them and what they want and what they're interested in. And don't don't take them for granted 
worrying about everybody else that's not even interested in what you're doing, right? So a lot of the times we worry about who's not supporting us. Oh, this radio station's not playing my song, or why isn't this promoter booking me, or why isn't this happening? Well, you need to focus on the people that are booking you, or the people that are willing to give you a chance, and focus on those people, and then that is going to end up ultimately building, and then you're going to be able to create leverage so when people reach out to you, you're like, nah, yeah, okay, you may not have heard of me, but I got 50 people that'll die for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got an army, you know what I'm saying, that, that, are, that are willing to do pretty much anything for me. And that right there could be more valuable than the guy that is in the big rooms that, you know, everybody knows about the platform, but there doesn't even, not people are invested into the artist or the DJ. They just know, like, for instance, like a hit song, like, you know, a lot of one-hit wonders, you might be familiar with the name of the song or the hook of the song, but if you're not familiar with the artist of the song and they could put out another record, you won't even know that they put out another record because you're not invested into those people. So as a DJ or artist or whatever the case is, I would just suggest investing into the people that are showing interest into what you're doing and then build from there. Bro, that was beautifully said because I think there are so many people that are trying to, why are you trying to sell to somebody who's never going to buy? You know what I mean? You have a great network of people that support you and love you and want to see you win here. You know, make sure that they're good, you know, because then you're fighting an uphill battle that you might not even win when it's like you could be winning right here. Mm -hmm. So find your lane, you know, find your niche. And, um, yeah, you know, we've toured together for years at this point. How did you get into touring? Because I don't know that, honestly. Um, so it's funny, Joey Franchise. I owe him a lot. I talk about him in a lot of interviews, actually. Um, so Franchise is the one that introduced me to Buck, which is the program director from the station I mentioned earlier. But then he's also the person that um, he was DJing for Chris Webby um, at the time, where I, I pretty much established a relationship with Webby, which is who I'm touring with now. And he ended up moving from Connecticut to Tampa, and during his transition phase. Um, there was like a last few shows that um, he couldn't do on a tour that they were on, him and Webby. So he actually asked me to fill in for one of the shows. And I'll give Chris Fury credit credit too because Fury um, actually helped me book Chris Webby at an event. And when I tell you he did me the most solid, I, I, I don't want to go into like the business side of the things like of, of how he looked out for me. Because um, I don't want everybody expecting that type of treatment. Yeah. So I'm going to save Fury and Webby from that. But I didn't even have a, a relationship with Webby at the time for Webby and Fury to do the favor that they did for me. So that really stuck with me. And I remember saying to Webby personally, he doesn't even remember this, but I remember saying to Chris Webby, I'm like, yo, I owe you two. I think I said to him one time when he did me the favor. And um, and I really meant that. So when like Franchise reached out and he was like, yo, um, you know, Webby needs a DJ for the show. Are you interested in filling in for me? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So I went and, like, you know, you know how it is. Like, you know, you go out and the accommodations are going to be there. So you'll have a place to sleep and you'll have it. But me, like, I think I drove to Maine on the first show and I got my own hotel room. And I remember, like, Webby and, and uh, Billy, which is his tour manager at the time, like, what are you doing? Like, obviously we had you covered. I'm like, but I just wanted y'all to know that, like, I'm not going to necessarily rely on you guys for anything. I'm coming over here and I want to add value. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be a burden or whatever the case is. Um, so, and when I did the first show with Webby, um, I think we just clicked and franchise ended up moving to Tampa and I ended up pretty much taking that spot. And um, ever since then, probably I think about seven, eight years it's been at this point, I've been DJing for Webby. But it, it started with the opportunity of, yo, I need to fill in and then I went and did my thing. And then we kind of clicked. But I think the reason why it's been working out for this long 
Um, was it because of how good I was as a technical DJ? There's a million DJs that could do the job technically. I think it was more or less um, the trust that we built with one another um, that I think that Webby gravitated to. So knowing that he can trust me and knowing that, like, okay, when I'm when I'm in a club, I'm looking at the crowd. When I'm in a, you know, when I'm DJing for just me, I, I'm looking at different things. But when I'm DJing for him, I'm 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 more or less like an extension of him. So I'm looking at him to make sure his body movements, to make sure he's, I want to be able to read what's going on on the stage before he even has to tell me. And I think us creating that rapport is the reason why it's lasted this long and still going. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been there with you guys, so I've seen the chemistry on stage too. And you know, that kind of brings me to something. You know, sometimes shows don't always go as expected. Now, I remember we had a show in Denver where your laptop was overheating. The music kept cutting out. What are you thinking in those moments, Santo? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, um, yeah, that those. So, so what, I've been DJing for so long that I probably done been through every technical difficulty you can imagine, and I had to do so much troubleshooting. So for me, it's just kind of like driving a car. You know, it's like it's just naturally when when something goes wrong, I'm not even thinking. You know what I mean? I just kind of already know. But for that particular that that in particular, what you're talking about. I remember being like, all right, um, I can't take the risk of running the rest of the show on my laptop because my laptop was shit in the bed, right? Um, so I, I was like, how am I going to be able to, like, what am I going to do? So I just I just remember, like, I had to, like, grab another laptop. And luckily I had the set backed up on, like, a flash drive or whatever it was. Um, so I grabbed, like, Dave Zombie's laptop, I think it was, and I'm just, like, loading his laptop. But I, while I'm doing that and restarting my laptop and doing all that, I'm also trying to entertain and let people know, like, yo, there's, everything's good, you know? So like, I remember, like, hey, Webby, like, let's do a T-shirt giveaway. <laughs> like, he's like, what? Like, like, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, we're throwing out T-shirts into the crowd. You know, we're, like, we're doing trivia. You know what I'm saying? We're just doing everything possible to kill time so I can get this laptop. Yeah, and for people listening, this is a crowd. This is not a small crowd. This is a crowd of, like, thousands of people just, <laughs> you know, waiting for Santo to get the music back on. But what I will say is going back to that trust that Webby has, um, it really helped the fact that, like, he trusts me because he, he obviously we're on stage, so there's there's no direct communication where I'm not letting him know, hey, this is what's happening. Bear with me. He knows something is not right because I'm doing a fucking T-shirt giveaway, like, in the middle of the show. So he's just like, all right, like, until they get it together. So he's supporting me in that moment and not like, you know, how some artists would be a little like, you know, what the fuck is going on? Or, yo, get it. You know what I mean? He's not doing that to me. He's kind of like just going with the, oh, all right, so I, it's T-shirt giveaway time. <laughs> Whatever. You know what I'm saying? So him him kind of, you know, giving me that grace definitely helped a lot. And then also um, Smooth being there on the drums and being able to carry the weight of, like, when the song went out, Smooth just keep going and they'll finish the song. And I'm just, like, fucking panicking over here trying to get it together. And meanwhile, like, you know, Smooth is just not breaking a sweat. They call him Smooth for a reason. You know, he's just on the drums. It's like, all right, he'll get it together. So that that trust between the two of them definitely allowed me uh, the grace to make it happen. That was a crazy one, though. Yeah. I get anxiety now thinking but, about that. But your crowd control is so good, <laughs> Santo. Like, you literally have some of the best crowd control that I have ever seen. And I have a question. Like, how, what do you think makes your crowd control so good? It's weird, man, because, like, in real life, 
I, I'm an introvert, you know what I mean? And I think that, like, you know, I, I'm not like a guy that, like, walks into a room and is just going to be, like, um, you know, talking to everybody. I'm not really into, like, small talk and stuff like that. And I think that I, I've, I've always kind of been that way. So I think for DJing, it was kind of like Clark Kent and Superman in a way. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, okay, this is this gives me an opportunity to kind of, like, be, a, be like, a different side of me and... and I always looked at it like that was like my shield, you know. So when I go on stage, like I turn into—it's hard to explain. It's just like I, I, I turn a different light on, and that confidence that I don't have in regular life, I have on the stage for some reason. I think it's just because I've been doing it for so long. When I first started, I was completely okay. I'm still okay with going in the club, being in the corner, in the shadow, nobody even knowing who's DJing. I actually sometimes prefer that because it's just like okay, I can play the music, people react to the music. But then when you start going into rooms where the DJ booth is on a pedestal or you got to go on a stage, for instance, and now people are looking up on you, that's a different level of pressure. So now I got no choice but to figure it out. And I think with so many gigs throughout the years, I've just learned so much. But then also being more importantly than everything I just said is being somebody on the other side in the crowd and being the person that's watching the stage. And I go to so many concerts and whenever I'm not feeling inspired, I try to go to DJs that I like or go to shows that I know that I'm going to enjoy. And I and I do studying not just about what they're doing on stage, but how am I feeling? Um, you know, so like, for instance, like when an event starts, it starts the moment that you're even interested in it to the point where you buy your tickets, to the point where you're picking out your outfit, to the point where you got to either find a babysitter or find a cover for work to driving to there, to parking, to interacting with the people at the front door, the security, to going in, to waiting for the headliner to come out, to being hungry, to being thirsty, to being tired, to being excited. All of those emotions and all of those things, I always try to feel when I'm going out to an event and I acknowledge them so I know what people are feeling like when they come out to see me. So I don't take for granted if there's if it's a crowd of capacity that fits 500 to 1,000 people when there's 50 people in there. I don't, I, don't, I don't take for granted that there's 50 people that came out because those people could be going through something in their life. It could be their birthday. They probably go out once every few years. They probably, you know, probably just had a loss in the family. Whatever, you know, whatever it might be, I always go out of my way to make sure that they're having the best time that they can have. And the way that I try to do that is by making sure that my energy is up. So it's not about... The music that I'm playing or spending a, you know, a lot of time on like, okay, what's my set going to be? And and I spend less time preparing my set. I really don't prepare sets um, unless it's like radio for the most part because I, I want to be present. So I, I want to be able to feel when I walk into the room, okay, what what's the vibe that we're going to go with? And I kind of let the vibe come to me rather than going and forcing what I think tonight should be. I want to go and like, okay, how you feeling? Read your energy and then go off for of you. Okay, maybe we're not at 100 yet, and that's cool. Let's build on that. So I always try to put myself in the position of the people that are watching the shows. Yeah, and you've stepped on some of the most iconic stages, dude. I mean, you spun at Red Rocks, dude. How was that experience? Red Rocks was crazy because I was fucking winded the whole entire performance. Because the altitude. Because <laughs> of the altitude, because Squires had a bright idea to do a photo shoot. On the top of the goddamn fucking Red Rocks, we had to we had to walk like 
all the way. I, if you're familiar with the venue, you know that there's like steps. We had to walk a fucking climb a mountain basically to get to to take these photos. And I remember barely even making it. <laughs> and then like 20 minutes after that, we had to be on stage. And I remember still being winded. Uh, that's that's the main thing I remember about Red Rocks. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> that's good, dude. I mean, I didn't mean I didn't, I didn't mean to. I wouldn't have asked if I knew. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's such an iconic venue. I had to be a part of that photo shoot. But if you look at pictures, um, I am absolutely. I'll pop one up. I'm gonna pop one up on the screen right <laughs> like, now, dude. Yeah, I'm winded. Like my asthma. Well, how how was the show part of it? So for me, it was just like another gig in a way where it's like, okay, um, I'm not gonna go out here and make it about me now just because we're at Red Rocks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm gonna stick to the script. You know what I mean? So by sticking to the script, like I said, is making sure that Webby's good and making sure that the set is solid. And that was a little different because it wasn't us headlining; it was us opening up for Wiz Khalifa. And that's always interesting because when you're in like in a festival situation or opening up for somebody else, you never really know how familiar they are with your catalog. So you kind of got to go at it in a different way. You kind of got to go at it and kind of earn, hey, what's up, guys? If it's all right with you, I want to do this or do that. I don't go out and like, you know, demanding, yo, you know, I, I go out and, and I make myself uh, vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? Hey, listen, this is our first time here. It's a pleasure to be here, whatever. I think when people see that, like, appreciation that we have for being on a stage like that, then they're like, okay, we don't know who the fuck this guy is. His name's not on the ticket, but I'm going to give him a shot. What's an out-of-pocket tour memory that you have? There's got to be one. I, we've, we've definitely gotten to some shenanigans on the road. <laughs> um, Out-of-pocket? Uh, or silly. Do you have one? Do I have one? You know what? The one I can think of right off rip is uh, when we almost got arrested on whatever that drive was. Do you remember the cops, like, pulled us over? We all had to go out. Dave Zombie's covered in, like, a— uh... Oh, you were there for that one, huh? Yeah. That, you know what's funny? I watched the video, and I was like, oh, Sando was there for that. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm glad that, that that's how you remember it because that was basically my fault. That was your fault? Sorry. Pretty much, yeah, for the most part. So we were driving through, like— we were like Kentucky or whatever. Somewhere. It, it was somewhere that we were driving that was not a weed friendly environment. And and uh I I lit up and I was smoking in the van, in the tour van, uh working on like beats or whatever the fuck it was that I was doing. And I think one of the tail lights was out or something like that. Something you know, simple. So we get pulled over and like the cop comes up and smells the weed that I lit up. And was and then that's kind of what got us out the car and like so so I'm literally the person that's responsible for us almost getting arrested that night and I apologize about that squares. But what I will say is when they asked, yo, all right, where's the weed guys? Like immediately, you know, one thing I learned is honesty is the best policy. So I was like, yo, here's the weed. And they're like, yo, this is all you got. Like we find it hard to believe a bunch of rappers and whatever. This is all you got. I'm like, but listen, you're not understanding this. This is the first day of the tour. We're coming from home and we're going to, I think, Colorado. I'm going to have a plethora of weed in Colorado. This is just enough weed to last me from home to Colorado. So I told the cop this and he's like, 
Makes sense. <laughs> He's like, all right. Like, and he let us slide. Dude, I remember that moment being a lot more chaotic from my perspective because what I remember from that is, you know, us getting pulled over, Webb going to the front seat, and then he sat on an ice cream sandwich that then splattered everywhere, dude. And like, so now, like, Webb's sitting on this ice cream sandwich. The cops <laughs> coming up the window. He's like, excuse me, officer. I just sat on an ice cream sandwich. They're smelling <laughs> weed. Uh, meanwhile, Webb left his pharmacy on the back. See, dude, Echo's like scrambling to, you know, put the pharmacy away. <laughs> so then we're all getting out of the van. Webb's like, if you look at Webb in some of those videos too, he's sweating bullets. You know, I didn't know, but yeah, dude. No, that was a it was a good twin. Webb, Webb's trying to act like he's like the logical one in a situation like that. He's the common collective one. Like, don't worry, guys, I got this. There's a photo of you that you are just so in the zone. It's not a photo I took, but it's a photo that you're so in the zone. And 50 Cent is just looking over your shoulder like a proud father, dude. Can you can you explain, you know, what's going on there in that photo? Uh, I love talking about this because um, this is a funny one. So I, I had the opportunity of DJing at Shrine, which is the, uh, one of the biggest clubs in Connecticut. And this night is a night that 50 Cent happened to be hosting. And he was, you know, going to perform like five or six songs this night. So I got in touch with his tour manager. So he sends me the list of the songs. Um, obviously, I'm not talking to 50 Cent directly about this. So I got the list of songs he's going to perform. And the number one rule when it comes to when you're DJing for an artist or there's like an artist on the bill is like you never play the artist's song before they go out on the stage. It's very it's common sense. Like Yeah. But for some weird reason, I just felt like it was time for 50 to perform. So I'm the, I basically what I'm saying is 50 walked into the club. You know, usually how it's supposed to go is like 50 walks in, he settles in, gets into his VIP, gets his bottle, whatever the case is. A bunch of people are reacting to him being there. And then whenever he feels that the time is right, he'll move over to the DJ booth and he'll perform the songs. That's not what happened. That's not exactly what happened. So, so he walks in, gets his bottle, whatever the case is. And I remember the set that I happened to be doing was a set that, like, um, led perfectly into 21 Questions, the song with him and Nate Dogg. And that wasn't on the list that he was performing. Um, so I was like, okay, this can go two ways. I could go against my gut right now and, and deviate from where I was about to go and, you know, play by the rules, which would have been fine, you know, I'm, I'm sure. But I just, like, I know if I play this fucking song. It's going to light this building up so ridiculously, and it's not a song that he's performing. So ideally, I'm going to, if I, I'm going to play it, it's going to light up. He's going to either come to me and beat me up for jumping the gun, or he's just going to jump right into the performance. And I was like, fuck it. Like, I, I played the song, and I cut the, I remember cutting, like, the chorus off. And the crowd was singing so loud. By the time the chorus ended, 50 was already in the booth with the microphone ready to perform the first song that he gave me already. So when he when he came in the booth, I'm looking at him, I'm like, like, you ready? To, like, is this good? Like, you ready to go? We haven't communicated a single word to each other in life <laughs> at this point. And I'm now I'm just, you know, taking the, you know, I'm taking the reins and like I'm basically producing his show, which is crazy. Um so he was like, yeah, let's go. Like, you know what I mean? No turning back now. You know what I'm saying? So he performs his four or five records, and then um, nobody tells 50 what to do, okay? 
So I'm not going to just throw on a sixth record without his approval, but I had a sixth record queued up because nobody wants to just see four or five songs. You, I, we want a whole performance, right? And we can get it. So I had like a, the sixth song queued up when he was on his last one, and I pointed it to the screen, and he's like rapping, and he looks, and he's like, it gives me like a head nod. I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to keep going. Let's go. So now it's like improv now at this point. So I'm like, all right, boom. So I drop another record. I put up another record. I'm like looking at his reaction. He's like, so now we're just going now. So now five turns into like 10 or 12 songs. But then, you know, after a while, I'm like, all right, like I'm going to let him off the hook. So what I did was um, this is at a time where like Pop Smoke had recently passed away. And I don't know if you guys noticed watching, but 50 Cent, um, actually, like, executive produced the album that Pop Smoke released right after he passed away. So I know that there was, like, a, a love there. You know, there was, like, a relationship built there. So I was like, you know, I'm going to get him out of this set. And I was like, so I, I pulled up a Pop Smoke song. And then while he was performing his last song, I, like, told him real quick. And I'm like, yo, I got Pop Smoke coming up. If you want to say something about Pop real quick or whatever the case is, and I'll go into that. So then I stopped. So I'm I'm producing a show for Fifty. This is crazy, right? So now Fifty's like, cause he's with me. I, I I earn his trust. So he's like, all right, cool. So I throw on I throw on the pot smoke, and then now he's just hosting the party with me. Now he's just like on the mic, fucking like you know what I mean, like just vibing to the point where like there was like somebody had came up, some girl came up from the VIP that he was in. It was like, hey, bro, like, what are you doing, like, <laughs> like. Talking to fifty, like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be in the booth all night, like you got work to do out here. Like what are you what are you doing? Come on! And I remember fifty was just having fun with me, you know what I'm saying? Fifty was like, all right, you know what I mean? So he ended up leaving DJ booth and went and signed autographs, took pictures. But I just remember that moment of like, um, really feeling like he was actually having fun, um, and and it felt like he was like working, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, wow, it felt good to be able to bring that out of fifty, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know it can go two ways. Like I said, no, he, it could he be really pissed, like you'd be like, all right. But to me, that shows to your skills as a DJ being able to read the room and know what the right play was because an iconic night was made because of it. You know what I mean? If you stuck to the script, it probably would have been a good night. But the way you played it, it's a night that everyone's going to remember, probably including 50. Do you have any other experiences with like other artists that were like that where you had that type of chemistry? Um, I actually opened up for Method Man and Red Man. Oh, wow. And this was huge for me because... To this day, I never officially met uh, Method Man. Like, we never exchanged any words or we never greeted each other or anything like that. But he was backstage getting ready to go on while I was DJing. And I remember cutting the music for whatever it was that I was playing, the crowd singing, like, the rest of the song or whatever. And I, I remember the, the crowd finished singing. And when it was time for them to go on, I heard... Met the man on the mic. It was like a voice of God. You know what I'm saying? It was like it was just like he he said something like, "Yo, like the DJ just killed this shit." That's incredible. He dog. gave me a compliment on the mic to the crowd. Like he wanted the crowd to know that. Like, and I'm like the fact that he even spoke on the mic before he even went out. You know what I mean? For, before his introduction is is crazy. But then like to give me the props. You know what I'm saying? Was really special to me because, like, if I'm being honest, like. Artists like Busta Rhymes, artists like Method Man and Red Man, those are the people that, like, if, if, if I need some inspiration as far as stage is concerned, I'm going to go to one of their shows. You know what I mean? So, like, Method Man and Red Man, I remember one of my first times in Colorado for our 420, uh, annual 420 show that, you know, we're doing now, Our one of my first times out there was going to watch them. You know what I mean? And, and being on 420 and being so psyched 
to be able to see them performing. And then when I got that compliment, it just, it was just like, it was just like, okay, I'm doing what I need. I'm doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Because he didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? Did you have a moment in your career that you're like, I'm doing this now. Like, this is happening. Did you have, like, that turning point? Mind you, I've run into, I've run into a lot of artists. Buster Rhymes, I mentioned him a second ago. Um, he was one that helped build my confidence because he's he could be a really intimidating presence. Um, if you've ever been around him in person, uh especially, like, a few years ago. Like, if you caught him in the club, it's either there's two sides. Either you're going to get, like, a standoffish type of vibe from him if he doesn't really know you, or it's, like, hugs and, you know, big smiles. And I remember DJing um, in New York a few times and him, because he was, like, a regular at, like, the Greenhouse and the One Oak and those places where I was DJing at the time. And he would come, and he would come to the to the booth and, like, give me shots of Patron. And I had the, the, the waitress come and... Yo, we need, and I hate tequila, by the way, but I would obviously drink tequila with Buster Rhymes any day. If you're listening, Buster, I would love to have tequila with you. <laughs> Greenhouse, I mentioned Greenhouse. Okay, uh, Grandmaster Flash is one of the founding fathers of DJing. And I remember there was one night in particular that I was DJing at Greenhouse in New York. And, and I wasn't the one getting paid the headline at these places. I was opening and closing for my for my dog, DJ Sus One who works for Power 105. So he was the guy, but he had me along opening for him. And I remember while I was opening for him one time, Grandmaster Flash came up to the booth and was like, I remember seeing him and I just was like, what the fuck, Grandmaster Flash? <laughs> like, and I just remember like, what the, and he came up to the booth and he was like, yo man, I had to come up and see what DJ was rocking, man, like this, man. Like I had to come up and meet the DJ, man. Like, And I remember like, he gave me that compliment. I was just like, wow. like, And he actually like chose to like hang out with me and for like 40, 45 minutes, he just hung out with me in the booth while I was DJing. And I remember the compliment that he gave me was similar to a compliment that uh, DJ Green Landon gave me, which is a DJ that's on my original resume and bio that I made when I was super, super young. He is one of my inspirations. And they both gave me the same compliment in the same club, which is like, yo, you're an incredible DJ because even though like we're here, like... Flash was like, yo, I would have came up to a lot of DJs and they would have started playing what they felt like I wanted to hear. You know, doing like, do, 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 you know what I mean? Like white lines. And like, and I was like, he, he, he told me, he was like, you know, you stuck to the script and and you didn't let me come and phase anything that you were doing. And by sticking to the script, it's like, okay, I'm playing pretty much bullshit up until the point where the headliner comes on. So, I, but I'm, my job is to keep their attention, but not bring them to level 100. That's not my job. So my job is to get them nice and comfortable, like we were speaking about earlier. And the fact that, like, okay, I have these DJs that I look up to, I want to show off for them. I want them to know that I'm a good DJ. I can go on, I can start fucking scratching or doing whatever it is or playing big records, and I chose not to do that. I chose to DJ how I would DJ if they weren't standing there. And when they realized that and they gave me the compliment, like, yo, that's confidence. Um you know, and that's what DJing is all about is the confidence and knowing that it's about the crowd. It's not about one individual. So it doesn't matter if Jesus Christ decides to resurrect in the middle of a party and decides to come. I'm going to make sure that the, the 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 crowd is happy before I uh, attend to anybody in particular. So I'm not going to sell out the crowd for my personal gain. And and that was kind of long-winded too, but those moments is what gave me the confidence to now I never have to prove myself to anybody ever again. And like I don't, I don't like I can walk into a room and you can't tell me nothing because 
I got the DJs that I look up to already told me that I'm great. You know what I'm saying? No, and they I didn't know even 100%. see me. They didn't even see me in the headlining position where I had a chance to really. They see me, you know, playing my position, and that right there was the keys that let me know, okay, I got this. I'll be good from here. You know, if you have somebody that you look up to that like gives you those props, that feeling's got to be absolutely insane, dude. I kind of want to change it up a little bit because I saw that you were with Sway. Like, how did you end up connecting with Sway? Shout out to Chris Fury, man. Fury made that play happen. Chris Fury, uh, I don't remember exactly. It wasn't It wasn't like a, a big elaborate play. It was just like, yo, he has a relationship with Sway. And um, I guess they were looking for guest DJs, and he just put me on. But that was another, Sway was another <laughs> another moment where, um, it's not like I'm just, like, just talking about all the compliments that all these people <laughs> gave me. But I just remember, I was like, okay, if I'm going to go on Sway, my, I had already had a pretty, pretty good amount of experience doing radio by the time I got on Sway. So my confidence was pretty much already built as far as doing radio. So, like, at home when I'm doing radio, you know, I'm doing, I got to stick to a certain, you know, list and I got to play hit records and this, this, and that, play clean records and stuff. Um, But Shay 45, like. Damn correct, dude. This is, come on, man. Eminem is one of my favorite rappers of all time. Like, I can't go on Shade 45 and and be playing around. Like, you know what I'm saying? I got to go on some hip-hop shit. Like, so it, it was less about Sway for me personally and more about, like, I'm DJing on Shade 45, which is Eminem's station. And then if there's anything that Eminem would want me to do, it's to keep it fucking raw. Like, go and keep it uncut. So I'm going to go and I'm going to play some shit that, like, I feel like people that this is Shade 45 want to hear. So I went and uh, and I curated a set for that that was um, different than a set that I've done anywhere else even to this day. It was just like, just a lot of B-side records. And I, I remember starting my set with, I had a live version of New York State of Mind of Nas performing with like an orchestra at Ooh. like the Kennedy Center or something like that. And I remember starting my set with that. And so <laughs> Sway, Sway like, you know, uh, you know, introduces me, whatever. He goes, he walks off. Because, you know, I had like 30 minutes to set. So he's going to go walk off and probably do whatever the fuck he wanted to go do. But as his way out, he he heard, he hears me playing the Nas. And he turns around. He's like, he sticks around for a second. He's like, so he stick, and he's like, yo, this is, he's like, everybody listening. He's just like nodding his head. He he gives me like a, a cosign look like, oh, this is hard. I see what you're doing. And then he leaves. But at the end of the show, when I finished my set, Sway gives me his number, and he was like, bro, you got to send me that that uh, live Nas version that you played. Like, I need that. I was like, bet. You know what I mean? So I'm like, all right. So now I'm texting Sway a fucking Apple Music link of, like, the whole, you know, performance or whatever the case is. And I just remember that was another moment of, like, okay, I'm going to stick to my gut and play what I would want to hear if I'm listening to Shade 45. And I remember Sway, like, catching his attention. And like I said, it wasn't even nothing about, like, how good I could scratch or how good I was as a technical DJ. And, and no, it was just about, like, my 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 selection. And he was just like, wow, like, nobody's coming here and took that route. Um, so he appreciated that. So that, that worked out good. Yeah, and another thing I saw, too, is that you had Major Laser on your radio show. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, it's there, yeah. Man. Then where the fuck is that at? Where the fuck did you find that at? 
you know, I did my Nardwar homework <laughs> on this one, dude. I was digging deep. But yeah, no, I saw a selfie that Diplo took and you're just in it too. You yeah. know what I mean? When I was them early days of my show um, for the International Sundays when we were supporting Major Lazer, um, you know, we we would have the opportunity to go out and, and do interviews with them and stuff like that. And I, I remember I did a we did an interview with all of them together. I went and I checked on Washi Fire. I did an interview with him separately. Um, Jillian there when he was down with Major Laser, I did an interview with him separately. So I was building a relationship with everybody in the group um, separately. And I remember just like they had their um, their show on uh, uh, Beach Radio. Yeah, right? yeah. So you know, like a lot of artists had their show on Beach Radio. So they had their show on Beach Radio, and I remember um, I forgot what. Maybe they, they might have been promoting an album at the time or a single. And, um, you know, they were down to do, like, a guest set. So it wasn't just an interview that they did. They actually, like, guest DJed. But they didn't come into the studio, and they were all in the studio in Connecticut DJing. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't that. They just sent in one of their mixes, and they did some drops for us or whatever the case is, and we got to promote the fact that they guest DJed. But it, it was cool because of the fact that, like, our show was pretty much inspired by what it is that they were doing at the time, which is like, we don't even believe in the word genre. The word genre doesn't even exist. We just make music how we feel. And I remember taking that and applying that to my show. I'm playing music how I feel. So my show, my blueprint of my show was heavily inspired by Major Lazer. So for it to come full circle and then co-sign the show like that, uh, was was a real special moment. I'm going to bring that up because I forgot about that. That's... Yeah, dude. No, I, I did my homework, too, and I was, like, trying to find moments, too. Another moment that I saw is that you got to play at Rolling Loud with the homie Armin. Yes. How did that go? We did three Rolling Louds that year. Um, that was cool because I remember um, when he had reached out to me for the first one, we started out on, like, the smaller stage. Then the next one, it was like, we got it on the, the slightly bigger stage. And I remember, like, the third one, we are on, like, the main stage. Obviously, like, we were on early, but I just remember, like, graduating from stage to stage and, like, getting to be able, you know, be able to be on the big stage with them. And that was cool because, um, you know, somebody like Armin, and anybody that doesn't know, Armin actually toured with us for the Raw Thoughts tour with Webby, and he was one of the openers for that. And for him to be able to get an opportunity like that and reach back out to me, um, I had to deliver. So, like, my, my my job when it comes to DJing for artists, like I said earlier, it's really, like, less technical and more about the trust. So as long as, like, in the energy, right? So, like, my job is to make sure, like, the, uh, the artist is as least nervous and most comfortable and confident as possible. So even if that takes me having to fly out to L.A. early and do a rehearsal... And, you know, you know, do whatever it is that I needed to do to make sure that Armin went into that thing with uh, with his A game. That, that was my job. You know what I'm saying? So e even as little as we're just getting there, it's hectic in the morning. I'm coming through and I, I got the Bluetooth speaker and we're in the fucking dressing room and I'm I'm, I'm playing vibes. You know what I'm saying? And I, I just want to like let and I want to remind everybody that like, yeah, this is a bit of a big opportunity, but this is no different than. The, the, one of the last gigs that we just did with whatever a handful of people, we're going to treat it the same just how we treated treated that one. We're going to go out there, we're going to have fun. So that was my main mission was uh, translating that energy to the stage. So once we got on the stage, you know, that, that, that technical part is the easy part. But 
building up until then and controlling the emotions and the anxiety. And anxiety is good when it comes to performing. Like, you want to feel jittery. You know, you want to be able to feel that feeling of excitement. You know, if you're not, then, like, you're not, you're not feeling those those emotions, you're not going to really trans. It's not going to translate as well to the crowd if they know you're not into it, and it's just another day. For us, like, I want to go onto the stage excited. So we're rolling loud. I just tried my best to be there for our mean and, like, to give them that confidence. Like, yo, let's go out there and let's do what we do. And the thing people might not know about this, though, is that you're also a really dope producer, dude. And to be honest, I heard one of your beats – before I ever even met you, dude, because I heard the record with Annoyed, the Rock, Paper, Scissors joint. Oh. Yeah, dude. How did that record come to be? That was a, that was a beautiful time in my life because, um, <laughs> damn, Mike, you're good, huh? I'm trying. <laughs> I'm really trying. <laughs> it's just crazy how that connects because I was just saying, like, I was just talking about the anxiousness and uh, that jittery feeling of, of going onto stage. I remember, I talked about this in the interview before, but I, re- I remember getting to a point in my life and in my DJ career where I went to play on, like, one of the biggest stages that I've, that I've played on. It was, like, 22, 23,000 people. And I remember not feeling that feeling of anxiousness before I went on. And I remember getting off the stage that night. And so, you know, when you... When, as an artist or whatever it is, when you're looking, your whole life, you're waiting for these big moments, right? You're working towards it. You're grinding, you're grinding every day, you're eating shit, whatever the case is. And you're looking for those big moments, those big payoffs. And when you finally get to the opportunity that you've been waiting for, and it doesn't feel like how you hoped it would feel building up until then, it's a scary feeling. It's like, okay, what now? You know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm not feeling um, jittery or anxious, that's a scary feeling for me. I, I don't. It's like okay, like it feels like you you've mastered the game, like you completed the final boss. What it like? What, where do I go from here? So I, I remember like, I remember like okay, I gotta figure out how I can get that back and get that pa- that passion back and that anxiousness back. And that's where producing came in. Mm. So that's where I'm connecting it. It's like okay, I gotta figure out how I can get that that vibe back. And now when I started when at that time when I started producing, um. I would get that feeling of the feeling I was supposed to get before I performed for 20,000 people. I would get that feeling if it's just me and you in the studio and I'm playing you my beat for the first time. I would get that same exact feeling of like, damn, I hope. Because, you know, as much as I love music and I've been into music, producing was a new field for me. So I'm looking at it like this. Like, if I'm going into... Producing like you know that's Quincy Jones, Dr. Dre. You know I'm thinking about these people. That I can't. I I gotta take this shit seriously if I'm gonna call myself a producer, right? So I wanna be. I wanna feel accepted as a producer. I wanna feel so those 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 moments of like DJing where I wanna feel accepted by the Grandmaster Flashes or whoever it is, the Busta Rhymes, and those moments that 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 give you that that gratification. I didn't I didn't have as a producer yet because I was new. So like now I wanna go into this and I wanna get those. Uh, cosigns so that that feeling of jitteriness or whatever the case is I would get right so I remember the first artist that I actually like went out of my way to go into the studio to play music for was Annoyed so you can imagine how nervous excited and anxious or whatever the case is I was because I was a fan of Annoyed at the time too Uh, I, I loved his music and I was like you know what I really hope 
that I'm not wasting his time by asking. Because, you know, me being a DJ, you know, I, I had the privilege of being able to reach out to his manager at the time. Like, yo, can you get me in the studio with Annoyed? He's like, yeah, no problem. Not, not everybody just gets that opportunity like that. It's like, as a producer, you know, so it's like, I, I got to make sure that if I'm going, I'm going to deliver. So I remember going and playing him, like, however many beats. I probably played him, like, fucking three folders worth of beats. And I, I remember, like, yo, yeah, this is hard. Like, this, this is Annoyed's reaction. Oh, this is hard. And I'm playing him all the beats that I think that he wants to hear based on his catalog from what I know, right? And I remember, like, okay, I, I felt like the session went great. You know what I'm saying? He told me everything that he—he he liked everything that I was playing, whatever. But on my way out, I remember, like, yo, can I play you one more? But this is, like, something that is different that I was thinking about having for, like, a Rihanna or something like that. Just to get your feedback, just to see, like, how, if you fuck with, like, the vibe or whatever. No intention of playing it thinking that he would like it for him, which is the Rock, Paper, Scissors joint. So I, I played it because it was a little different, a little bit more poppy or whatever the case is or whatever you want to call it, tropical vibes and stuff. And I played it, and then immediately he started, like, humming and started singing along, doing, like, a melody. And he was doing it like if he was Rihanna, like, like giving me ideas of how a girl would sound if they were to jump on it. Like, oh, it'd be dope. So, he, so he's doing, like, a melody, and then I'm, I'm like, oh, like, this is catching on. And he was like, yo, yeah, let me get that. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to write something for you for that. But I'm thinking he's going to write something as a writer so I can give to somebody else, which is the intention. But he ended up keeping it for himself, what he wrote. And I remember he, he ended up telling me, like, yo, this is different than anything that I've ever done. And I didn't even know that I can get into this bag and, and get into this pocket. So I remember, I remember him telling me that I opened up a door for him as far as a writer is concerned. And my intentions were not even for that beat to even be for him. And what that taught me was it was a confidence booster, obviously, because it was like, okay, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing, right? But then not only that, it was like, it, it let me know, okay, um, when you're going into a room with an artist, you know, if you're confident in what it is that you're bringing to the table, you know, you don't got to play what you think that they want to hear. You know what I'm saying? Play what it is that, that you fuck with. And more than likely, they're going to want something that's not already in their catalog, because they got 100 producers already that's playing them the beats that they already have access to. So if I'm going to go and I'm going to get into the studio with somebody, like, it's 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 better to go and play something that they don't even hear themselves on. But it, that comes with trust, too, though, obviously. Yeah. So, you know, you build a little bit of trust or whatever the case is, and once they let their guard down, like, okay, well, let's, what about this? Let's try this. Let's try something. And, and I think that that moment in that Rock, Paper, Scissors song is what opened up the confidence level that I needed to keep producing yeah and I think you being a DJ too you already knew what sounded good you know what I mean you had an idea of like what records are doing well and what's not well what's the record you know how did the one with Webby come to be the Yippie Kaye joint I did that beat after one of the shows on the road in the van actually oh wow and the was funny I part the, was I on the road with you um with Jaren Benton yeah and Locksmith yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> those, those are your guys um, so I, I remember actually Jaren I made that beat for Jaren Benton yeah I don't even know Webby knows this what, uh, whatever So whatever, it's not a big deal but I, I remember being on the road and I was like okay Jaren Benton's on the road with us I wanted something to play for him but I feel like I didn't have anything to play for him at the time so I was like let me make something for him and I made that beat with him in mind and the next day I played it in the van just to hear it on the big speakers and Webby was in the van and was like yo what's this and I'm like, like, you fuck with this? He's like, 
Yeah, put that one to the side. I'm like, all right. So it never got Jaren Bay. It never, it never got to him. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, Jaren, but you know, Webby got first dibs on it. So Webby was like, yo, put that to the side. And that's just funny because that goes back to what I was saying a second ago. It was like, you know, playing playing a beat for like that was like the last beat that I thought that Webby would be interested in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, it doesn't sound like the rest of his catalog, but I think that's why that record stands out to me too, in like a good way. You yeah. Know? Um, and then. I think uh, Annoyed ended up getting on that because we went to Static Selector's birthday party, I believe it was. And it was like a random excursion after we got back from the road. It was me, Webby, and Annoyed. I think it was just like the three of us that we had went out that night. And on the way back, I remember, I think it was, uh, it wasn't Static DJing, it was Scram Jones DJing. And Scram Jones DJing a static selector birthday party. You could imagine how inspiring that could be to people like us, like that really love hip hop and shit. And I remember being in the in the club that day, and I remember Anori walking by me and was like, "Yo, bro, I'm gonna write some fucking shit." Like I remember he didn't say, but he 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 expressed. I don't know what he said verbatim, but I remember he expressed how motivated and inspired he was because of what we were listening to that night. So. I was like, all right, you know what I mean? Like, that's what's up, you know what I mean? So we got back in the car, and then Webby's like, yo, we got to cook something up um, to annoy it or whatever. It's been a while. So so he's like, yo, run through some beats. So Webby starts going through beats. He comes across the Yippie Kaye one, and then, you know, annoyed like, instantly starts. You know, and what's, you know how it is. Like, you know, you, you play beats for artists. Once an artist starts humming or mumbling, all right, hold on. Like, then you stick a, all right, let me let me play that one for a little longer. And I remember Webby just like, all right, hold on. All right, so this is where we're going. And I remember fucking uh, Annoyed just going crazy on that. And I think we came up with the hook together on that ride. And then they both did their verses separately and wrote their verses separately. But that's how that record came about pretty much. Yeah. And then you ended up making your own records, dude. How did that, like, what inspired you to do that? Um... The ones that I was like singing on and shit. Yeah, exactly, dude. <laughs> so that was inspired by by heartbreak. You know, it was a. Uh, um, I went through a situation a, a year and some change ago, or however long it's been now, where it wasn't even about the girl. It was more or less about the time and place that I was in my life at that time. Um, you know, this is at a time where. Okay, now I've reached where I feel like creatively the peak of my DJing. So now I transition to producing. Now I'm producing, and now I'm still feeling like okay, um, I still need inspiration. I'm, I'm like I'm 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 fucking like about to crash because I'm I'm like every day outside promoting, doing a million things. And I remember just being like at a point in my life where I'm just like, bro, like I'm I'm tired of chasing, you know this 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 thing that we're going for and, and neglecting my personal life while I'm doing it. And it's just like, yo, if I reach to the, and I finally climb to the top of the mountain and I'm there alone, what, what good is that going to do? If along the way I didn't miss every person that I care about's birthday party or, you know, whatever the case is, like these, these moments that I, I, I would never have time for. And I just remember like getting in a place in my life where I was just like, yo, I'm going to start saying no to opportunities. I'm going to start putting my phone on do not disturb. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to start, like, pouring into, like, my personal life. And it just so happened that while I was in that transition, I made certain sacrifices. Um, and, it, and whoever the girl that was at the time, um, that I was like, you know what, I'm going to focus on her. It didn't work out. But I remember being in a place where, like, damn, like, 
here I am, you know, making these sacrifices to cases that's not even being appreciated. You know what I'm saying? And I just remember, like, I, you know, wanting to get past that, but I wasn't going to go and, um, you know, go on social media and start talking shit, whatever. I was like, you know what? Let me let me go ahead and, like, pour it into the music. And what I meant by that was just on some production. It had nothing to do with, like, writing or anything like that. The writing came about was when SB, actually, Demigod, um, my, my guy that produces, he sent me a beat. And he was like, yo, do you have any ideas for this? Like, as far as, like, a melody or anything like that, like, where, where I can go with this? And I remember, like, I had my mic set up because I was doing, I had just started my Denver radio show. And I had the mic set up just simply so I could do drops and I could do my talking for radio. And I was like, I did come up with an idea for the beat that he sent me. And I was like, instead of doing, like, a, I, I would have normally did, like, a voice note on my phone and, like, mumbled some shit or whatever and then sent that to him. But I was like, well, I got my mic set up. Uh, let me actually, like, take it a step further than a voice note. I mean, so I download, all, no bullshit, I download auto-tune and I'm like, Oh shit! Like, this don't sound bad, you know what I'm saying? So, so, I, so I, I remember like laying like a hook down or whatever, so I could send to him, and then that just transitioned into like, well, let me see, let me pull up one of my beats, or let me, and the next thing you know, like, I fucking like at this point, I'm probably like a hundred songs in at this point since then, and it's just more or less like the therapy of being able to get that out, even if it wasn't coming out into the world, being able to play it for people like. Um, that I trust or being able to hear it personally like it was just so therapeutic for me that like I don't know what I would have done um, if it not have been for the opportunity of SB sending me that record and like me realizing like oh wow I've been using microphones my whole fucking life I don't know how to sing but I know how to use a microphone like I know how to I know like I understand tones and stuff like that so with the auto-tune, it was just, like, knowing how to be in the pocket and, and, and stuff like that. So it was starting real simple, and the next thing you know, I'm just experimenting. And now I'm just like, okay, now I consider myself to be a songwriter-producer, you know what I'm saying, because of that process. But it was just inspired by heartbreak and then also like, oh, wow, I can actually do this. Yeah, you said something that really struck a chord with me, too, is that, you know, sometimes, especially with what we do, like, we get so busy that we start missing, like, some life things. You know, you're missing the friends' birthdays. You're missing... You know, how do you balance your personal life with your career? Man, I still, I think we all in some way or another have a struggle when it comes to that. But I'm I'm personally, man, it, it's hard for me to balance it because I'm so passionate about whatever it is that I'm doing. So, like, if I'm in it, then I'm in it. If I'm taking a day off, I'm taking a day off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's really hard to, like, meet in the middle. So it's like... I'm still learning. I'm still trying to learn how to how to create the balance of, you know, being in studio mode and transitioning to being in DJ mode or being in brother, you know, friend mode. And I think one of the things, though, that that I've learned throughout my days is like, okay, knowing that it's not a waste of time when you're not when you're doing nothing. It's not a waste of time, you know, literally like. If you got to take a day to rest or like, I think, I think Webby was the one that, cause I asked Webby, I'm like, yo, how the fuck do you stay inspired? Do you keep writing? I'm like, yo, he has thousands of songs at this point. And I'm like, how do you keep, and he's just like, bro, you got to know when it's, a, when you got to know, like, it's okay to close the laptop every now and then. 
And you know, like when he meant by that, I'm like, it just, it just, it was like a light bulb that went off. I'm just like, yo, you know, when we sit down, I sit down at the end of the night while everything is all done, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna sit down on my laptop. I'm gonna be creative. Sometimes it don't come to you. It's okay to close the laptop. Say maybe, maybe tonight wasn't the night. It's okay to go fuck off. Like maybe I want to fucking Netflix. Maybe I'll go to sleep. Maybe I want to go on a date. Whatever it, is, whatever it might be, it's okay to do those things. Because once you close the laptop, if you're not inspired, and you go out and you live life, you're going to get inspiration through, the, through life, through living life, and you're going to run back to the laptop when you get that inspiration. And you, you, I can't wait to get back and open that up, and you're going to have ideas and stuff like that rather than, okay, there's 24 hours in this day. If I'm not spending this amount of hours with this amount of product productivity, I've wasted my day. Now I don't look at it like that anymore. You know what I'm saying? Now it's like, okay— if something comes to me, it comes to me. And if not, if I got to take some time off, I'm not looking at it as a waste of time. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking at it like, okay, I'm just pouring into myself. So when I do decide to be creative, I'm inspired and I'm motivated. And I think that that's a place that took me a long time to get there. But I think that that's one of the most freeing parts about where I'm at right now in my life where it's just like, I don't look at like, okay, if I miss this opportunity, for whatever the case is, because my phone might have been on Do Not Disturb and I might have missed a call for a gig or whatever the opportunity was, it's okay to know, like, okay, there's going to be another one. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to regret why I had my phone on Do Not Disturb because I needed that rest or I needed that moment in my life. And that was important to me at that time. I can't, I can't, I can't value, like, oh, okay, damn, like, I got to grind, grind, grind. I'm going to this opportunity. I'm not working hard enough. It's like that whole team no sleep shit that I used to be on, I'm not on that no more. Like I'm very into like, okay, do what it is that you got to do to make sure that you're happy and healthy and motivated to do the job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think, you know, as far as like the team no sleep grind, like I think there is value in doing that, but there becomes a certain point where, you know, you don't need to do that grind anymore because you've already – established yourself so it's like you don't need to be in that level of a grind and then you got to focus on maintaining the level you are and part of maintaining is resting and you know not overworking yourself because you'll fry yourself easily uh-huh. dude uh-huh. so i want to know what's next for santo the the hundred songs that i that i talked about that i have in my hard drive that hasn't seen the light of day i'd like to get some of those out i'm excited um, to hear them dude even even if it's not out directly through me um you know maybe if i get you know Somebody else pick them up, you know, another artist, um, like some, I think that's another thing too, is like, I, I don't like to, I'm not like, uh, I don't refer to myself as an artist, you know what I'm saying? I, I rather refer to myself as a producer and a songwriter because I want anybody to know that's watching that if you are an artist, like, I'm not, uh, there's a hundred songs, I'm, I'm not, I'm not married to any one of them in particular. Like, I will gladly give up any one of those to an artist that's willing to sing it or willing to take an idea from it, whatever the case is. And I, I'm about getting to the song to where, where you know, it's it's as seasoned as possible, even if that, that doesn't mean that I'm the one singing it, whatever the case is. So I want taking my ego out of it. I just want to get some of this music that I've been working on um, to see the light of day somehow, some way. Um, and then outside of that, man, honestly, I'm just like, right now, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm in love. You know what I'm saying? I got like, you know what I mean? I got that going on. Let's you know go, I mean? dude. So I got, you know, I, been, I talked about it a second ago when I walked in here off camera. He asked me how, Squires asked me how the last tour was. And I'm like, yo, honestly, it, we all behaving, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're all just kind of like, and, and it feels good to be in, in, in that mode because, like I said, it's just like the balance of 
the personal and the business. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I look forward to going to the studio and going and DJing because I'm fulfilled personally. Well, I'm not going out to the club, you know, all right, what are we doing after this? Yeah. What are we doing after what we do after this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the shenanigans. And going out and chasing in the shenanigans is just like the never ending chase of filling our ego, right? Yeah. So I'm at a point where I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm happy personally. And, you know, wherever this DJ thing goes from here, you know, I don't really have anything in particular as far as goals with the DJ besides um, doing what I've been doing is just staying consistent. You know, I'm at a point right now where it's just like, yo, I'm letting the opportunities come to me. I'm not going out and chasing anything right now. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to, you know, book you for an event or, you know, work with you as a producer, how could they do that? It's pretty easy, man. Just holla at me, man. Uh, you know, hit me up on Instagram at International Santo, S-A-N-T-O. Or shoot me over a DM if you got any ideas. I mean, you know, my, my, my thing is like, don't hit me with like a, yo, let's work. <laughs> You're not going to get a response. You know, <laughs> I'm being honest. Like, um, or a text message like, yo. You got to come correct, guys. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Just don't do that to anybody. Yo. You know what I mean? Like, yo. So what should they do? <laughs> All right. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah. That's a whole different conversation. Listen, man, like, provide some sort of, I always assume that, like, whoever I'm reaching out to doesn't know who I am. So, like, if I'm going to reach out, even if you do, like, if I was reaching out to Squires and I had an idea, I'm not just going to hit them, like, on some, like, yo, I got an idea. Dot, dot, dot. I'm going to hit them with the fucking idea. Like, <laughs> skip the small talk. You know what I'm saying? Yo, Squires, here's the idea. What do you think? You know what I'm saying? Here's how I plan about ex- how I plan about going about executing it. You know, so I think, like, artists and stuff like that, and, like, when, when, they, when, they, when they're reaching out to, like, me as a DJ, and they're, like, asking me to play their records or whatever it is, I just think that, like, it's important that you put yourself in my shoes, right? If I never heard of you, and you want me to play your record, you have to give me reasons why I think it's a good idea to play your record outside of just sending me the record. Because even if I like it, I could actually love the record. It could be sonically the best song I've ever heard in my life that you could send me right now. If I hear it, and that's all I have, and I don't have any context of how you're going to go about promoting the record, who else likes the record? You know, if, if is there a video for it? Is there a plan for it? Um, you know, like I said, there's other people supporting it, other DJs that are getting behind it. I need to know those things because if I'm going to support the record, I have to know that I'm not on the hill alone. I got to know that, okay, this already has wills, already has, it's it's in motion. Now, whatever I can do to help that is just going to be icing on the cake, but I'm not going to be solely responsible for breaking this into success because I don't have that power. You know what I'm saying? I don't have the power to just take one record and just make it a hit record. If I did, I'd have I'd have a bunch of hit records. But if you tell me, yo, and show me that like this is gonna potentially be something that people love or enjoy or people are already enjoying, then I could add my two cents to it. So just what I mean by that is like if you're sending an email out as an artist and you want a DJ to play it, if you have analytics, um, TikToks, if you have other people that are posting it, if you have like for instance like, um. First impression is everything, right? So, like, if I'm going to send my record out, instead of me writing about the record, I'm going to send it to a blog first and have them do a music review on the song, and I'm going to send that music review 
to you as the bio for the song. Mm. Somebody else wrote that. So now if I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, somebody else spent their time and energy into writing about your record and they enjoyed it and there's something about it that they enjoyed. And they t- then okay, there must be something to this, right? So it's like, you know, going into anything, it's like, okay, if there's somebody giving you a testimony and there's somebody that's that's vouching for you, um, then that means that you must be doing something right. Yeah. So now I, what am I missing now? Now, now I'm thinking, okay, I'm missing out on something. You know what I'm saying? Now I'm gonna jump on the bandwagon. You know what I'm saying? And as a DJ, um, not a lot of DJs are gonna say that, you know what I'm saying? But I'm gonna let you know, like, as a DJ, I wanna know what's already hot. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I wanna I, I, don't give me something that's cold and expect for me to make it hot. Make it hot and then come to me. Then I was like, okay, now I wanna be a part of that. Now you're coming to me with leverage. Now the conversation is different than like, yo, here's my record. Play it. You know what I'm saying? Like, nah, you Squires already got the fucking six month plan. You know what I'm saying? He already got the hundred pieces of content for this shit. He's not waiting on me to 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 make the record hot. So me knowing that, now I know if I support the record, then it's more likely that something good is gonna come out of it. Yeah, dude. And it's true. Having a good rollout's important. Dude, for anybody out there, my rollout that I'm about to roll out, dude, it's it's over a year long at this point. Like I've got the next you know, but I believe it. Santo, I just want to thank you for coming out, dude. It's been a great episode. We had a great talk. Yeah. For anybody who's watching on YouTube, uh, you might've seen this blue box here. It's not really here. I forgot him at home. So I just put him in post and same with Santos. Uh, but yeah, Santo, that's, that's a great up. Great up. Thank, thank you for you, coming man. out, dude. Appreciate you, brother. My thought of the day is don't let perfection get in the way of just starting. It's okay to get good at whatever you're doing along the way. You don't need to have everything figured out because sometimes if you're waiting for perfection, you might not even get started. As you are in your career field, in your craft, you're going to naturally get better the more that you do it. People like to see progression. And most importantly, guys, you need to believe in yourself before the world does.